0: November 13th First Church and Parish in Denham The Reverend Raleigh Weaver considering the end zone Please be seated Have you ever given 2 weeks notice at a job and found it impossible to con- to concentrate on the tasks in front of you? Or have you planned a vacation and spent more time envisioning sitting on the beach than actually preparing for your journey? The constant struggle to stay present and in the moment is heightened when we approach something new. In those end zone moments, it is easier to focus on what might be around the bend, the new better job on the way, the upcoming vacation, the possibility of new life. Quite naturally, the danger comes when we put our focus on what's next and we miss what is happening right now. Just as Robert Frost does in his poem, we can let our mind ramble to infinitely more attractive possibilities, rather than rest in the time we are in right now. Buddhists describe this dissonance between our preferred imaginary reality and the actual reality as the source of all suffering. In the autumn, we're presented with a perfect metaphor for this type of discomfort. The same desire appears quite naturally during the shift of seasons, from the warm, pleasant days of summer, as the cold, crisp edge of winter creeps in. Amidst changes in life, over which we have little control, it's easy to be distracted. Our minds naturally drift to what is more comfortable, what we can control, and sometimes this even means lamenting what is here. To avoid these interruptions, it is vitally important that we prepare our minds and hearts for the ups and downs of life. Awakening to the present moment is as important when preparing for our death as it is to awaken to life. There are times though, despite our best efforts and best preparation, that changes catch us unaware. Just as the Halloween winter storm surprised us and found many of us searching for our winter coats and gloves and hats, so too there are times when endings disturb our normal ways of being and leave us reeling. Life can be unexpected. So the only way to really prepare for these endings is through the practice of awareness, imagining every eventuality, and training our spirits to embrace every possibility of life. I know from experience this is much easier said than done. In our culture, we are trained to view living life to its fullest to include avoiding death at all costs. We spend countless hours creating healthy habits to prolong our lives. We strive to preserve youthfulness. And our Western medicine offers us countless ways to stave off death. We all know that the death panel was a mythical creation from the Tea Party movement, yet the mere thought of a group of people discussing the pros and cons of extending or ending a life sparked a contentious debate that nearly derailed the Health Care Reform Act and found President Obama promising his program would not pull the plug on grandma. As a result, Congress dropped plans for the end-of-life counseling as a natural course in our Medicare planning that might encourage older or more sickly patients to consider the expense of costly medical procedures? Are we so afraid of dying that we are willing to put our hope in any painful procedure to extend our lives? This, of course, is the question this type of counseling might ask. What makes a quality life? Last summer, I spent 10 days with my Aunt Mary and her partner Rhoda. My Aunt Mary is 77 years old. For the past four years, she has been suffering with Parkinson's disease. My previously very active aunt spent her adult life teaching German to adolescents at MacArthur High School in San Antonio, Texas. And just four years ago, she was well enough to visit me here at the Parsonage in Dedham, Now she is confined to a wheelchair and cannot communicate in full sentences or bathe herself without assistance. In many ways, her change of life has come on suddenly and unexpectedly for her friends and family. It's difficult to see her so limited and almost impossible to imagine that she won't spontaneously return to her previously active self. However, it is also impossible to deny that over this short amount of time, her communication, her independence, her quality of life in general have all been diminished. Serendipitously, I arrived on the scene in late June Just as the nurses were disengaging her care, and the visiting nurses were disengaging her care, and my aunt was being switched to hospice care. Hospice care is a philosophy of care for the terminally ill that focuses exclusively on relieving and preventing the suffering of the patient. The process of beginning this type of care always includes inviting the patient and his or her family to consider advanced directives, sometimes called a living will, and who will be the health care power of attorney. Often by the time a patient enters hospice care, these things have already been discussed, but for my aunt, who had spent very little time in hospitals, These details surprised both her and her partner. As Rhoda saw it, hospice care was not ideal because despite Mary's diminished capacity, Rhoda wasn't ready to give up hope of, of Mary improving. And so signing a form that would tell the ambulance not to revive my aunt was out of the question. Having been privileged with a job that allows me to be with people at the end of their lives, I have been in this situation many times, where the vision of what was and the hope of what might be again is so powerful that people can't see beyond and really see what is now. This is the problem with not preparing for our deaths when we are healthy and alive. When confronted with an ending, we naturally plan our escape. Just as we do when moving, or going to a new job, or planning a vacation, we make tangible with our minds possibilities that do not exist. Because we do not know what is in the afterlife and we cannot plan for that journey, we focus all of our energies on recovery, even in the most impossible circumstances, and in so doing create obstacles that the awareness of what is real might erase. (coughs) Without an advance directive signed, when my aunt's heart stops, and no matter how long it has been stopped, when the ambulance arrives at her home, the EMTs will strive to revive her. I will admit that this is not such a bad plan in many circumstances, but what I do want us to consider is at what point is it a bad plan? When do we stop trying to revive this body we were given and allow it to rest and move into the next phase of life, the one we cannot see? Our collective aversion to death has made the transition to death more painful and difficult than it might normally be, and so planning ahead and thinking through your death is vitally important. In 1998, 42 states affirmed the national advance directive called Five Wishes that was proposed by the nonprofit agency Aging with Dignity. Five Wishes is an advanced directive that lets the family and doctors know five things. Number one, who you want to make your health care decisions for you when you can't make them for yourself. Number two, the kind of medical treatment you do or do not want. Number three, how comfortable you want to be. Number four, how you want people to treat you. And number five, what you want your loved ones to know. Deciding these five things before anything happens is a way of preparing for the eventualities of life so that we can live more fully right until the end of our lives. Without these five questions resolved, we can spend the last days of our lives fretting about the things that obstruct our joy in life. Without these five questions published, we can be denied the dignity we deserve at the time of our death. So I want to encourage you to consider your five wishes and make your intention known to your families and to your doctors, and I can even keep a file here at church in case you need your minister to advocate for you in your last days. But there is one more, perhaps even more important element I want us to think about as we consider the end zone of our lives. If, as the Dalai Lama, we begin to prepare for our eventual eventual death with the rest of our lives, what ways might we go about completing our preparations? What unfinished things persist? As I've been asking myself this question for the past few weeks, I have been confronted with countless unfinished tasks that need doing. Junk drawers and closets that need cleaning, laundry that needs doing, walls that need painting. I would be very upset if I was surprised by my death today and anyone had to clean up the mess I have left in the parsonage. Similarly, there are some aspects of my personality that have left rough edges where I, where if I were to die tomorrow, I would rather leave smooth ones. One example of this in me is how defensive I get at the slightest suggestion of error. Defensiveness is a wholly unresolved quality in me, it is my knee jerk reaction. That is easy for me to explain away because I pair it with righteous indignation and I tell myself I deserve to get defensive. And yet while I have been considering my end-of-life planning, I have been aware that my defensiveness, no matter how appropriate, is also leaving an imprint on my life that I would rather not leave behind. I don't want to be remembered as the minister and friend who was so close-minded she would get defensive at the suggestion of the slightest criticism. I want to be a loving, calming presence. And while that might be true some of the time, the work of my life is to be a non-anxious presence all of the time, and any action in my heart, in contrast, to the loving spirit I want to leave behind is a form of unfinished business. I saw this in my aunt's life as well. She has spent most of her life as a non-conformist, resisting any action by any other person to control her or tell her what to do. Now, in the end zone of her life, she may want to change that, and be more open to the support that her partner and friends are offering her. However, with her diminished capacity to express herself, sometimes even the slightest hesitation, which is quite natural with Parkinson's, it becomes read by those around her as a resistance. And so even if she is being more open to support, Her earlier anti-dependent nature is all those around her can see. It is time, in every breathing moment, to be the person that we want to be. To pretend we have all the time in the world and to postpone or shrug off the fine-tuning of our behavior is another way that we deny the end of life. And this is the point. Not any one of us is going to live forever. All we really have is right now. So whatever it is that keeps you from living fully, it is time to straighten it out. It is time to put it away, time to clean it up, time to take that risk and start again. Let us live the way we were born to live, so that whenever that unexpected day arrives and our current life comes to its close, we will live behind only the impresses that we intended to, So embrace your life planning now for the end zone. Let your wishes be known and wake up to how precious life is and live each and every moment as if it were your last.